Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So tonight, uh, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of the Bible, I just want to kind of let you know what we have coming up as far as teaching. This is the last week of our Simply Jesus series. So um, I don't know what you've thought about this. It's a lot different than what we do. We kind of turned the music down. We turned the lights up. We went low tech, which I've been telling, I was telling April, there's nothing simple for me about the Simply Jesus series because like I have been creating these, you know, every week and trying to come up with like how to do the fold and putting the notes in here and it has taken me like double the amount of time than it takes to get all the tech stuff ready. So I'm kind of like, you know, I've enjoyed this. I'm kind of ready to have the tech back because it'll be a little easier on me because Simply Jesus was not simple for me. Um, but while we've had the tech down, it's allowed us some time to, rep- we have some, had to make some technical repairs that's so allowed us to make those repairs. Um, and it's also, we've been working, we're going to kind of have a new stage set going on, getting ready for Easter and stuff. So starting next week, it'll be back to, I mean, not ridiculously loud refuel, but it'll be back to kind of what you what you know us to be, and uh, we'll probably be doing an upbeat song, and you know, we'll just, we'll be kind of back to what we've been doing, but this has been a good time, I hope, for you to kind of really be thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, and to really dig down into, you know, once we get rid of the lights, we get rid of the show, just down to you and Jesus, and we've been talking about some of the hard sayings of Jesus, and this may be the hardest um, the guy that, you know, I told you last week how I've been, since it's spring break, I'm just going to kind of sit down and have a conversation with you. Um, you know, I've been reading this, you, these old dead guys, because they, they write the best books about Jesus and give you the best information about Jesus. And the old dead guy I've been reading, his name is F.F. F. Bruce. And um, he has a book on the hardest sayings of Jesus, and he's got 70 of them. He starts his book out with this one, and this is what he says about this saying of Jesus that we're going to read tonight. He says, This is by far the hardest saying that Jesus is recorded as saying. The implication is that they not only, the audience not only found it difficult to understand, but suspected that if they understood it, they would find it totally unacceptable. And I think what we'll do is we'll start out by reading the saying (laughs) and kind of work our way back from there. So if you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 6. And we'll start at the end of John chapter 6, specifically verse 53. We'll start at that point, and then we're going to kind of explain and work our way back. And this is what Jesus said in John chapter 6. I'm I'm just kind of giving you a minute to turn there. I know sometimes it's hard to find some of these New Testament books. Um, If you have trouble, just maybe the person next to you can kind of get you there where you need to be. But John chapter 6, verse 52, Jesus said to them, and we'll talk about who them is, but Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoa, right? This sounds like it should be the beginning of one of our like Halloween series or something, right? Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That introduces a couple problems, doesn't it? First off, Jesus is saying something that if we don't do it, we don't have life, so we want to do it. But then when we look at what Jesus is telling us to do, and it gives us trouble. We're troubled when we read it because it says that you have to eat Jesus' flesh and drink Jesus' blood. I mean, this sounds like The Walking Dead. You know, I'm just waiting for Rick to come out, you know, and say, Coral! You know, like like this... (laughs) 
This, this, is, this is unnerving to read. How did Jesus get to this point, and what did he mean by it? Uh, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So since you're in John chapter 6, turn back to the first verse of John chapter 6. And as you're turning back there, I want to recap what we've been talking about during our Simple, Simply Jesus series. Uh, Jesus had attracted a crowd, just like us. You know, I'm just shocked that on spring break week, we have like this many teenagers here. Like usually, you know, back in the day, you know, we'd be lucky to have like, you know, 15 to 20 teenagers on spring break week. And, you know, so many of you came, and I'm, I'm thankful that you came. Um, but I, I want you to, I'm not trying to be judgmental when I ask this, but I'm just asking you a, asking you a question that I think would be good for you. I'm asking you a question. Yeah, I'm asking you a question that I think would be really important for you to consider. And the question is, why are you here? Not that I don't want you here, but I want you to think about why you're here. Because Jesus asked the question of the crowd that was following him, why are you here? Jesus was a big deal. He was healing people. He was doing miracles. His teaching was interesting, and people wanted to come and hear him teach, see him heal people, see him multiply food and feed people. And as we learned, Jesus kind of seemed to classify people in the crowd under three different, like, um, as three different types of people that were in the crowd. And first, there was, there was the spectator. There's the person who was just in the crowd. There was the crowd, and, and the crowd, when they saw Jesus, they found him to be interesting. The word they would use to describe Jesus would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, he heals some people. He's an interesting guy. I'll come watch that. You know, and then, you know, and, and then later this summer, you know, when it's time for me to you know, be outside, do some fishing, y'all do that. But for now, G, you know, I've got nothing better to do. Jesus is interesting. I'll go see him. And that was the crowd. Then there's another group of people who they, they followed Jesus from place to place, and they, they understood that Jesus wasn't just talking about physical stuff. He was talking about spiritual stuff, and they believed in Jesus. And those people, when they described Jesus, they would describe him as their savior because they believed in him. And then there was another group of people. There were very few of them, but Jesus was calling these other two groups of people to do this, and it was the group that were Jesus's disciples, and they didn't think Jesus, they thought Jesus was interesting, but they realized Jesus was way more than interesting. They knew Jesus was their Savior, but they even saw him as more than their Savior. They saw Jesus as Lord. Jesus was the one calling the shots in their life, and Jesus was calling everybody in the crowd to this point where Jesus was Lord of their life, and Jesus is calling, that, calling you to that, that he would be Lord of your life and that you live your life um, the, the way that he wants you to according to his will and you live by his words and by his commands. So, so this crowd is following Jesus anywhere and this is an interesting passage because it literally talks about the crowd and the crowd says this and Jesus says this and the crowd says this and Jesus says this and this is one of those points that Jesus, after, after Jesus said this statement which apparently is one of the hardest statements if not the hardest statement that Jesus ever said I lied to you. Go back to what we read, <laughs> the statement that Jesus made. Because I want you to look at the reaction. This is what the reaction was. Look at verse 66. It says, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus, the crowd was following him everywhere. And when Jesus said this statement, it was so difficult there were a lot of people that were like, you know what, I followed him, I saw him do the miracles, I, yeah, I followed him all around the countryside, but I'm done. Jesus lost a crowd in a matter of one sentence. 
So you're going to see this back and forth with Jesus in the crowd, and you're going to learn some things about Jesus and what he's calling you to. And if you're taking notes, you know, there'll be some, there's some blanks that you can fill in. If you want to, you don't have to. The notes were in your little worship guide. If you didn't get one, um, there's some back there. But the first thing that we see as we are looking through this chapter is that Jesus loved the crowd enough to feed them, and he loved his disciples enough to teach them. We're starting out with something that is very, very familiar to some of you who've been in Sunday school. In verse 1, let's just start reading, okay? It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd, I circled the word crowd because this is about the crowd, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed healing the sick. Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. I wish we could get into that, but that was when Jesus would go to Jerusalem and die on the cross. So this whole, the whole book of John is leading up to this moment where Jesus was, would die on the cross. And the crowd is following him. And Jesus keeps looking back at the crowd and saying, listen, if you follow me, that means you're going to follow me to my death and possibly your death. So you, you see that in there. But as we keep reading, it says, Jesus looked and then he saw, it goes from, he saw a great crowd. I circle the word crowd again, coming toward him. And he said to Philip, who was one of his close disciples, where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? Jesus, in verse 6, it says, he asked this question to Philip only to test him. He already had in his mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half, I can see, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, hey, here's a boy with five small, five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will that go along so many? Jesus said, have people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, so people sat down, about 5,000 men. Back then, it was kind of a sexist thing, I guess. It was wrong, but um, people who would do counts of crowds, they would only count the men who were considered to be the representatives of their family. So there were more than 5,000 people who were fed. Those were just the men. Um, so you, you're talking about probably maybe 10 to 15,000 people that are sitting down, and you've got a, a kid with a, you know, with a brown paper bag lunch, you know, with a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and Cheetos. <laughs> you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a teenage guy's lunch, you know. And it says, Jesus took the lo loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. In verse 12, it says, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them together, filled 12 baskets um, of the five bar with pieces of the five barley loaves that were left over and had eaten. When people saw the signs, verse 14, that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has is come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. So here's kind of the first... Yeah, I feel like it's like a, a Netflix show and you have like season one, episode one, season two, yeah, episode two, episode three. This is episode one of this, of this story, right? And it builds off each other. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Big deal, right? And you've, you've learned, you've heard about that in Sunday school. Um, if you haven't, big deal, right? Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a sack lunch, with a brown bag lunch. So big deal. So then the crowd is like, oh, Jesus can feed everybody. And, and they, they're wanting to like take Jesus and turn him into like a politician. You know, they want Jesus to make Israel great again. So they, so see, but that's not, Jesus's point wasn't to be a politician, it was to be a savior, right? So he escapes the crowd. 
Jesus escapes and the disciples, you know, the 12 that were close to him, they don't know where Jesus went. So they're like, well, we're just going to go on ahead to the next place. So they get in a boat and they go, they're, they're sailing across the Galilean Sea um, to go to Capernaum. So as they get in there, you've heard the story. I'm not going to necessarily read it, um, but there, this huge storm. This isn't like Barbersville Lake where it's like a little lake, you know. This is like one of the Great Lakes. It's a big lake, Sea of Galilee, big lake. So they're, they're, they're going across the sea. They, the storm comes. They're, they're, you know, they, they're, they're afraid the storm is going to sink. Then they're like, hey, somebody's walking on the water towards us. I think it's a ghost. You know, I think it's Casper. And they're like, wait, no, that's not Casper. That's Jesus. Jesus walks on the water to them. Gets in the boat, calms the sea, and they get to the other side to Capernaum. All that's happening. And then Jesus gets to Capernaum. Look at verse 25. The, well, no, look, at, look at verse 24. It says, once the crowd realized that Jesus and his disciples were there, meaning across the lake, they got into boats and went to Capernaum to look for Jesus. So think about how dedicated, dedicated this crowd was. Jesus went to the other side of the lake, so they all find boats, and they're all rowing to go see Jesus. I mean, it's like, a, it's like a mob. Like, it's like this huge crowd. Like, all of us would want that, right? All of us would love to be that popular. People were, like, getting into boats, rowing across, like, you know, Beach Fork Lake to try to get to us, you know? And that's what's happening in verse 25. They found him on the other side of the lake. They asked him, Rabbi, they only saw him as a teacher. They didn't see him as a savior. When did you get here? Jesus answered. Here's where he kind of starts to roast the crowd. Uh, he says, very truly, I tell you, Side note, that's the number one, that's the first very truly statement he makes. There's five of them in this passage. Very truly, I tell you that you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures the eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed on him a seal of approval. So Jesus is saying, you're not following me for anything other than to get another free lunch. <laughs> You know, think about how deflating that was probably to the crowd. They're like, you know, straining at the oars to get to him. They find Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, look at it. It's us. He's like, you guys just want, you just want me for my food, you know? <laughs> and so, so he says, why don't you work for food that endures to eternal life? And they're like, okay, what, what must we do to get the, uh, what, what must we do to do the works God requires? Verse 29, Jesus says, the work is this, to believe in the ones who they've sent. So they ask him, what sign will you give us that we see it? and believe in you, and what will you do? So, we've kind of made it halfway into the chapter. And what we see here is Jesus interacting with two different groups of people. He's interacting with the crowd, and he's interacting with his disciples. And before we're too hard on the crowd, and before we think Jesus is anti-crowd, we have to remember that Jesus fed every single one of those people. So Jesus loved the crowd. If you're here, and you don't, you don't feel like you're at a point where you, see, you know Jesus is your Savior, Jesus loves you. And Jesus is taking care of you. And just like Jesus fed the crowd, Jesus is here for you, right? So Jesus isn't anti-crowd. He's calling the crowd to something greater. But Jesus was also not just doing this to feed the crowd. He's, he was doing it to teach his disciples. Uh, in, verse, in, uh, in chapter 6, um, in verse 6 of chapter 6, it says, Jesus asked Philip you know, about the food only to test him. Jesus was trying to demonstrate to his disciples, hey, I'm the, I'm the Savior, I'm the Messiah, and I'm, I'm so great a Savior that I can take food and multiply it that nobody else can do. Unfortunately, the disciples did not get it. They did not get it. Because when they were in a storm, 
Were they believing in Jesus? Were they believing in Jesus to keep them safe? No, because there's a parallel account of this in Mark chapter 6, verse 51 and 52. Maybe just write that down. Don't turn there because I'm just going to quote it. When it's talking about them, after Jesus calms the storm and gets them over there, it says that Jesus was discouraged of, of them because they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. So Jesus was showing them how he could multiply food in order to give them confidence that he would take care of them. And they did not have that confidence on the lake when they were in the middle of the storm. So the disciples didn't get it. That's the, your little fill in the blanket. The disciples didn't get it. The crowd, they really didn't get it. I think that's the next, I think that's the next blank. Um, the crowd, they really didn't get it. Look at how, I don't want to say, because we're, we're probably a lot like this. Look at how silly, um, look just how the crowd didn't get it. You ever sit in a math class and you're, you're not understanding anything? Like, like, like it, it looks like hieroglyphics up there, you know? You're like, man, I'm not getting this. Jesus is explaining to the crowd his purpose and why he's here, and they're just not getting it. Look at verse 15. First, they thought Jesus was a politician. When Jesus multiplied all this food, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come make him king by force, withdrew, from, withdrew to a mountain. They thought Jesus was going to be the one to overthrow the Roman government. So they're like, yeah, let's go make Jesus king by force. It wasn't that they were going to force Jesus to be king. It's that they were ready to go home, get their 10-gauge shotgun, and go whack a few Roman soldiers and instill Jesus as their king. And that was not why Jesus came, was it? Jesus came on a search and rescue mission to die on the cross for our sins. So first they thought Jesus was a politician. Well, that was obviously wrong, wasn't it? Then in verse 25, um, they find Jesus, and we learn that they only wanted Jesus for their food. You know, it's kind of like us coming to church and saying, well, aren't I spiritual because I came to church? Well, you didn't come to church for Jesus. You came to church for the popcorn. Or you came to church because there's a girl here that you thought's cute. Or, you know, they, they were pursuing Jesus for the wrong motives. And Jesus calls them out on that. Verse 28, they thought that they could be um, saved. They wanted eternal life on their terms and on, by their work. What must we do to do the work that God requires? And then in verse 30, they wanted Jesus to perform for them. They thought Jesus was just a show. I said it last week. They thought Jesus was the greatest showman. You know, they thought, you know, oh, Jesus, can you do this miracle? Oh, Jesus, can you do this miracle? And Jesus, in verse 30, um, they say, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? And then they say, Moses gave our ancestors manna. Can you do that, Jesus? First off, he just... He just multiplied fish to feed 5,000 daggum people. <laughs> what more do you need? But they wanted more. They wanted Jesus to perform for them. Um, so Jesus answered them on that one in verse 32. He said, truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you that bread, the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God that comes down from heaven gives life to the world. Verse 34, sir, they said, always give us this bread. So Jesus says, hey, you know, your ancestors, God gave them bread to eat, um, but there's like real bread that can come down from heaven that you can have. And they're like, oh my goodness, bread from heaven? Is that like the rolls at Texas Roadhouse? <laughs> like, can we just first off pause for a second and say, I would love to just melt all that cinnamon butter down and drink it. Like, like, but anyway, you know, so they're like, they're thinking all this food that comes down from heaven, that's got to be awesome. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's not, 
it's not physical bread that comes down from heaven. And this is where the crowd didn't get it, and he says something that starts to offend them. And that's where we get to point number two. It's possible to be around Jesus without actually believing in him. It's possible to be around Jesus without believing in him. So they say, what is it? We want this bread. We want this bread that comes down from heaven, this like heavenly bread. Then Jesus declares this. This is a big I am statement of Jesus. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. As I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All that my Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my fa- it is my Father's will that everyone who be- looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. So Jesus says, hey, the bread from heaven, it's me. I'm the one who came from heaven. They didn't like that. It says the Jews there began to grumble. You know how grumble is one of those like words. It's like when you think of it, you think, oh, yeah, people talking like this, grumbling, you know, ticked off, you know. They began to grumble because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, this is Jesus. Is this not Jesus? Verse 42, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I, I can, this, is, this had to be, they had to do air quotes here. How can he say, I've come down from heaven? You know, you know, we're calling that one, you know. Uh, yeah. So Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. So you see that they don't get it. These people have been following Jesus everywhere. They've been following the Son of God everywhere, and they don't realize that he's the Son of God. You know, it's possible to know Jesus, know of Jesus, without actually knowing Jesus. It's possible to read about Jesus without actually realizing who he is. Totally possible because they missed out on it. They rejected Jesus. First, they rejected, uh, these are your sub points if you want them real quick. I can't really talk about They rejected Jesus' divinity. Anybody know what divinity is? That's like a big word. It just means that he was God. Um, divinity has to do with God. So they rejected Jesus' divinity. Jesus is claiming to be God here, isn't he? He said, the bread, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And when they heard that, they got, they got ticked. I mean, they got more than ticked. I mean, they were upset They were, because Jesus claimed to be God. They're like, that's blasphemy. Nobody can be God. And then they're like, this is Jesus. We know his mom. We know his dad. Like, like we played soccer with his brother. Like, like this is Jesus. He's one of us. He came from Galilee, redneck Israel. Like, like, he he, he ain't no God. He's Jesus, right? And they they rejected that. Even, they, they quickly forgot that he, you know, fed 5,000 people with a sack lunch. Then they rejected his mission. Remember, they wanted Jesus to be a politician. He tells them what his mission is in verse 38. He says, I haven't come down from heaven to do my will or their will, but the will of him who sent me. He came on a mission from God, and he refused to let people deter him from his mission. And then they also rejected Jesus's power to save. Jesus says in verse 40, it's my father's will that everyone who looks to the son, who's Jesus, and believes in him, She'll have eternal life. So they were around Jesus. They came to church. They heard Jesus preach the greatest sermon ever on the Sermon on the Mount. They saw him do miracles that none of us could even fathom or imagine seeing, and they still rejected Jesus. So being in the crowd, being around Jesus, doesn't necessarily mean that you believe in him. The final thing we learned. And this is where the, uh, the hard saying is, 
that following Jesus means surrendering everything to him. After this, and they reject Jesus' claims he's making, he says, stop grumbling among yourselves in verse 43. Verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. Um, It's written in the prophets that um, they will be taught by God, and everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, that's Jesus. Only he has seen the Father. Here's the third very truly I tell you in verse 47. The one who believes has eternal life. So how do you receive eternal life? How are you saved? Not by what you do, not by what you've done, not by what you will do. It's by who you believe in. Um, Who believes has eternal life, and he says it again, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they died. Here is breath that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. That's pretty good bread, right? That's like the fountain of youth, right? Yeah. Um, He says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Now here's where it starts getting, here's where things start getting a little sticky. Uh, He says, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. They didn't understand it then. We couldn't look back at the cross and see what he meant, right? This bread is my flesh, which I will give to the world. When his hands were nailed to a cross, his feet were nailed to a cross, a spear was put through his side, he literally did give his flesh for the world, didn't he? Um, then the Jews began to, this, see, they go from grumbling to arguing sharply. Yeah, that's this, you know, it's like talking loud and getting in people's faces, right? Um, they began arguing sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, right? I think I'd be a little concerned about that too if I didn't know who Jesus was. And I couldn't look back and see that Jesus was gonna die on the cross. So Jesus responds, and here's, here's the saying. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. Following Jesus means surrendering everything to him. Did Jesus mean that literally we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood? No. If you look, and we're going to look at here, he obviously points to this as being a spiritual thing. Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms, and the whole problem is that the crowd thinks he's talking about physical bread and physical things, physical flesh, physical blood, but Jesus is talking about the spiritual sense. So there's some people who believe that when you take the Lord's Supper and you eat the cracker and you drink the, in our church, grape juice, um, that those elements, those things, literally, once they get into your mouth, that they literally become Jesus' flesh and Jesus' blood, and they base it off of this verse. But what you're going to see is Jesus obviously ties this to the spiritual sense, not the physical sense, and not the literal sense. Let's read it. It says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise them at the last day, for my flesh is real, blood, real food, and my blood is real drink. And the real means, it's better translated like really is food, and my blood really is drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. So Jesus compares the way that we would eat his flesh and drink his blood to the relationship that he has as God the Son with God the Father. Question, do you find it anywhere in Scripture where Jesus eats the flesh and drinks the blood of God the Father? No. Why? Because Jesus is not speaking in literal terms here. Do you know what Jesus does say in relation to Food from the Father, when uh, just two chapters before, in John chapter 4, you may want to write that down next to this verse I did. Jesus tells the disciples, my food 
is to do the will of him who sent me. Meaning my food is to do God's work. And our food as we eat Jesus' flesh and drink Jesus' blood is to live our lives in him. Is that maybe making sense? Here's what he's saying. He's saying it's done Jesus' way. That's your little sub point there. It's done Jesus' way. The crowd, they had their own way they wanted to do things. They wanted to overthrow the Roman government. They wanted Jesus to give them like a feast. Yeah, they wanted you know, the Jesus golden corral every day. You know, they, they wanted it to be done their way. And what Jesus is saying is do it God's way. Do it the Father's way. Do it my way. Look, he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So there's only one way to be saved. It's not by what you do. It's not by who you are. It's by what Jesus did, and it's by believing in him. Then he says in verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. If God could save you, hey guys up here, if God could save you without anything you've done, you think you can do anything to keep yourself saved? Absolutely not. It says, he who lives in me, eats my flesh, drinks my blood, will remain in me. And then finally he says, just as I or just as the living Father sent me and I because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. So that's Jesus is sending us. Just like God sent Jesus and Jesus' food was to do God's will, Jesus sent us too. He said in John, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So our food is a mission from God, not our own mission. So it's by done Jesus' way and it's done by Jesus alone. So he says this and then, in verse 60, verse 60, it says, on hearing it, many of his disciples, many in the crowd said, this is a hard teaching. Yeah, yeah, you think? Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? <laughs> this is kind of like a, you know, a, a, a Galilean come at me, bro, right? <laughs> does this offend you? Like, I can just see him going, like, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Ooh, so now Jesus ties in eating his flesh and drinking his blood with living by his word. Interesting. Yet there are some of you who don't believe. That was the problem with the crowd. They didn't believe in Jesus. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to the Father me can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And here's that verse 66. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Remember how I said Jesus had kind of a core here that were following him, a couple people who were really following him? Jesus turns to those, that core of people, the 12. After every, imagine the scene there, 5,000 people turn away, turn away, get back on their boats, go to the other side of Beach Fork and they leave and it's just Jesus and the 12 guys and it says Jesus turned to them and he says this in verse 67 do you not want to leave too? he was giving them an out <laughs> he was giving his disciples an out and this is kind of the question that I'm going to leave you with verse 67 this is a question that Jesus I believe is asking you do you not want to leave me too? Jesus asked the 12. So you've got one or two, one or two answers, one of two answers, and these are the last two blanks. First thing you can do like the crowd did. 
You can turn back and live your own way. That may be the easy decision. Just turn away. Just don't worry about God. Live the life the way you want to live. Live for the here and now instead of eternity. But look at Peter's answer. Verse 68, it says, Simon Peter answered him to this question. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you were the Holy One of God. What is your answer to this? Because Jesus is asking you, you know, this, is the, this is the last lesson in the series. We're at a fork in the road. You have two choices. You can do like the crowd did. You say, oh, Jesus was interesting for a couple weeks. But I think I like my life. I think I want to live my life. You can go that direction. Jesus will still love you. I will still love you. I will do everything I can still to point you to Jesus. Where you can make this decision that Peter made. Lord, to whom shall we go? He said, where else can I go but to you, Jesus? Because you have the words of eternal life. So, some of you need to do something with the words that Jesus has of eternal life because you're in the crowd. You've never known Jesus as your personal Savior. You don't know that if you were to die tonight, if you go to heaven or if you go to hell. The question is, are you going to believe that Jesus has the words to eternal life? All it takes is you putting your faith in him. You don't have to go through a million steps you don't have to go through a process. You don't have to even talk to a leader if you don't want to. You can just pray right where you are right now. Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner and I need you. Jesus is also asking this question to some of you who are Christians. You've been a Christian for a long time. You've heard these stories in Sunday school in Miss Leah's class. But you've kind of been like the crowd. You know, you take Jesus when you want him and you leave Jesus when you want to go do your thing. But Jesus is saying, you going to follow me? This summer, you're going to follow me this spring break. You're going to follow me next year. You're going to follow me in college. You're going to follow me in high school. Will your answer be, you have, Jesus, the words to eternal life, the words that I can live by? So that's, that's the question I'm going to leave you with. Um, if you need to talk to somebody, you don't know if you can go, go to heaven when you die because you've never, <laughs> you've never made that decision. You've never been brought to that fork in the road before. Um, please come talk to me or talk to one of the leaders. Uh, if you just feel like, you know, you've kind of been stuck in a spiritual rut and it's time to follow Jesus um, and you need to talk to somebody about that, we'd love to be here to talk to you. So, spring break, two weeks, or two, <laughs> be nice if there are two weeks left of spring break. Two days left. Um, I hope you guys have a great spring break. Um, I'm going to pray for you guys. We'll get out of here. Um, it'll be back to normal <laughs> refuel next week. <laughs> But it's not going to be normal. Trust me, you have no idea what's going to be on this stage next week. Um, so let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll put somebody in the middle and get out of here. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us together. Um, God, I pray that um, the way that you stir our hearts when your word is read, um, that the Holy Spirit uh, doing his work, uh, we will not be able to uh, quench it. We won't be able to stop thinking about it. Um, but the things that you've challenged us with, um, with this hard saying, um, God, that we will... We will take it to heart. Uh, for people that need to m make action steps tonight, need to do things tonight in response to this, I pray that you'll give them the courage to do it. Um, God, I pray that you'll strengthen our faith. Um, God, thank you that even though you call us to hard things, 
God, everything you call us to is eternally so worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.